Here we go. Oh, yeah. Well, we get to continue our 40-plus days of prayer adventure and see what else God is going to show us and, and do with us and through us. And um, today, we're going to be talking about breakthrough prayer. What happens when you have a breakthrough in your prayer life and what that means? And when I was thinking about that, I thought, what, what, what are the benefits? What, why would you be interested in improving your prayer life? Why? What are the benefits of that? Anybody? Being closer to God, that's one benefit. What else? You need help. You need help. That's a good reason. What else? We're called to. We're called to. Yes, we are. Yeah, yeah. Other reasons, why would it make sense for you to say, I want to take some time, I want to improve my prayer life? Help to help others. Yeah. Intimacy. What's that? Intimacy. 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 Yes, yeah. So, so we're obviously seeing some benefits from that. And if it's nothing more, if it's nothing more than saying, I would actually get to know God better if I improve my prayer life, that's a huge one, is it not? I mean, it's a, that's a big one by itself. So then here's the next question. In that event, what is it or what does it take, what will it take to improve your prayer, prayer life? What does it take? Consistency. Consistency. What else? Effort. Priority. Pardon me? Prioritize. Oh, you guys are good. Yes, yeah. It's really the same things that are required if you're going to improve anything in your life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So when we're thinking about this, when we're thinking about improving our prayer life, then one of the things that, uh, and the reason I'm talking about breakthrough is this. Breakthrough is when we, we come to a different level. We come to more intimacy. We come to a new way of seeing things. Something clicks in our mind, okay? And we can have that in a lot of different areas of our lives, can't we? I mean, we can have that in the area. So, so I remember I was trying to think of an example of this, and I was reminded of when uh, my oldest son was playing football in third grade. And you watch those kids play football in third grade, and they don't have a clue, you know. They're running around like a pack everywhere they go. But as the season begins to go on, and I can remember he was playing defensive end, and I kept telling him, come on, man, you could crush the quarterback, you know, if you just remember to go in there and get the job done, just go after him. But, I, but the coach told me, the coach told me, and, and I've got to, and I've got to make sure I... And one day, the quarterback just literally ran into him, and he fell on top of him and tackled him. And, of course, everybody went crazy. And all of a sudden, you could see the light click on. You could just see it happen. And he all of a sudden got that, oh, now I see how this can work. And really, when we are talking about a breakthrough in prayer, that's what we're asking for. Now I see, God, how you're doing this. Now I see how you're seeing me. Now I see the gift you're giving me. Oh, man, I'm beginning. So how, we can do this in our spiritual lives again and again and again and to no end in a great way. Because God is so deep and so wide and so mysterious and so incredible and so good that we will never get to understanding all of him. So we can always break through to another level. Here's the deal. Breakthrough prayer does not change God, but it does change us. It doesn't change God's character, but it will change ours. 
You see that? So, so when we pray, we're going to get to know God better. And when we get to know God better, there will be an automatic result of it beginning to change us and who we are in a good way. But you all said what it takes. You said you got to be persistent. I heard that. You got to be intentional. I heard that. You've got to practice it. Let me give you an example. I, uh, I remember hearing about an elderly gentleman who was on hospice and his daughter asked their new pastor if, um, if he would come to the house and pray for her dad because her dad was not expected to live very long. And the new pastor said, of course I will. He shows up to the house and she points down the hallway to where his bedroom was and, and uh, the, the, the pastor goes down there and he comes in the door and he sees the elderly gentleman propped up in the bed uh, with pillows and next to the bed was a chair that was kind of turned to face the bed and as he stepped in and, and, and nodded at the elderly gentleman, he, he said, I see you're expecting me. And he said, no. And he said, well, you, you had the chair here. It looked like you were expecting me to, to be here. And he said, oh, the chair. And then he kind of smiled and he said, could you close the door? And the pastor went and closed the door and he came back and he sat down on that chair and looked him right in the eyes. And the, and the elderly gentleman said, you know, all of my life, I, I didn't know how to pray. And I'd, I'd go to church and I'd hear the pastor talk about it. It'd go over my head or in between my ears or where. I just didn't understand it. And so finally, I just kind of gave up on praying, except for, you know, the perfunctory things. And then my best friend came to me and he said, Joe, prayer is nothing more than a conversation with Jesus. Amen. And he said, what you should do, Joe, is sit in a chair and put a chair right across from you, an empty chair. And you just visualize Jesus in that chair and you talk to him just like you and I are talking right now. And you listen to what he might say back to you. It's as simple as that. It isn't weird, Joe, because Jesus says, I'll be with you always. So you just picture him being right there when he's with you and you have that conversation with him. And, and, and the elderly gentleman said, and, and, and I started doing that and I've come so fond of it that I do it a couple of hours a day. My daughter doesn't know anything about it. And I don't want her to because she'd think I was either crazy talking to an empty chair or she'd send me to the loony bin. And then he laughed about that and the pastor encouraged him to continue to do that and, and prayed with him and then left. Two days later, he got a phone call from uh, the elderly man's daughter and she said, Daddy passed away this afternoon. And he said, the pastor asked, did he die in peace? Did he seem to die in peace? And she said, yes. It was... An interesting thing, in fact, it was strange, kind of weird. I, I came up to him and I, and, I, and I kissed him. I was going shopping and, and he told me one of his corny jokes, told me that he loved me and, and I left and I came back about an hour, an hour and a half later and, and he had passed. But, but, but when he did, I don't know what happened, but he seemed to get partway out of the bed and he laid his head on that chair beside the bed. Wow, what a... What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture of a man at peace and in love with Jesus. But it didn't happen in a vacuum. He practiced it. He was intentional about it. He was persistent in his prayers, and he had a breakthrough in his relationship with Jesus because of that. Breakthrough prayer requires intentionality and persistence. 
And when you get a breakthrough in your prayer life, it changes you. It changes how you see God. It changes how you see your circumstances. I have talked to all kinds of people about this particular subject matter because prayer is so dear to my heart, and I've seen it change lives so much. So I often ask people, have you ever had a breakthrough where all of a sudden, you know, you went from one place to where you went to a new place of seeing God differently, of seeing your circumstances differently, of understanding things, kind of just a breakthrough? And, and so many believers will say, yes, yes, I have. And, and then I say, well, can you describe in one word what it took for you to get there or, or what happened to you in order to, when all of a sudden that happened? What were the, what were the events leading up to that? What, in one word, what would you say describes how and what, where you were when that happened? And, and, and guess, tell me what kind of words you think I might have heard. What are the words I might have heard from people who said, yes, I got a breakthrough, but here is where I was before I got it or when I finally got it. What kind of words? Desperate. 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 Number one word, desperate. Absolutely. That was the number one word. What else? Surrender. 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 Yes. Other words? Desperate. Surrender. Broken. Broken. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, people would say that, you know, when I finally got to the end of myself, when I finally found myself, I remember one person telling me I found myself curled up on a ball in my living room floor, surrendering everything to God. Another person said, when I finally accepted who God is and, and who I am and began to understand that differently. Another person said, when I, when I all of a sudden God showed me what was going on inside of me and I realized this about myself. And then I, it just gave me a completely new paradigm, a new picture of God and myself in my relationship with him. Woven between every one of those words that we have heard, that you have talked about this morning, is an ongoing theme of praying or practicing with intentionality and persistence. Desperate. When you get desperate, what are you doing? You're finally saying, God, please, I need your help. Please, God, show up. And you're desperately asking him to do that. And then I noticed as I spoke to these people about this and have for years, that they always then say, and then, and then God spoke, and then God showed me, and then, and then something happened where God interacted with them. Well, that led me to a couple of other questions, a few other questions, actually three And I thought, okay, that leads you to the question of asking, how does God speak to us? How does he do that? And then how can we know it's him? Because when people that, when I've talked to people about that, the ones I've talked to who have said, yes, I've had a breakthrough in my prayer life that has made a big difference for me, they all are very confident that what they heard was from God. How could they be so confident? And then the other question that I kept coming back to is, how can we... How can we and what can we do to intentionally and persistently pursue this ourselves? What are the things we can do to be able to encourage God to have that interaction with us and to deepen our relationship with him? To, in, to say, God, I'm, I'm ready for a breakthrough. I'm asking for this breakthrough, God. I want you to make that difference in my life. So what are those things? So I, man, I thought if we answer those questions... I think we'll all be in a better place and more prepared for a breakthrough, which is what I hope you want because you can continue to have them. You know that? We can continue to have them on and on. God, 
continually surprises me with how little I know and how great he is. I just got to say, it just is amazing how when I begin to seek him, he comes back and reminds me of that message in so many different ways. So the first question was, how does God speak to us? Now, we've talked about this before, that people, different people sometimes have it in different ways, but I wanted to go deeper than that. I thought, okay, God, how do you really speak to us? What is the, the method you are using? And as I began to process that and think about it, I all of a sudden realized, you know what? God uses your mind to communicate with you. God uses your mind to communicate with you. He does not use your mind to communicate with me. Hmm? Or versa visa, right? God uses your mind to communicate with you. Who created you? God. Well, some of you guys got that right. That's really good. The rest of you, let's talk about that afterwards, okay? Uh, God created you. You know what, what that means is God also created your mind. He designed it. He invented it. Oh. Oh. So God invented it that way so he could communicate with us. Now, he also gave you choice. He also gave you choice because he loves you so much. He wanted you to choose to love him. He also wants you to choose to say, God, I want a breakthrough. He also wants you to choose to say, God, I want to communicate with you. And then he says, okay, now, now open up your mind and let me use your mind to communicate with you. And that, friends, is why God does it so uniquely with so many of us. Because he knows you so well. That he'll communicate with you the way that you can best receive it. Because he, want, he loves you that much. He wants you to get it. That's why with some of you, when you are praying and you ask God a question, if you just stop a moment and say, what's the first thing he's going to bring to my mind? Then all of a sudden, he might bring a picture to your mind. He might bring some words to somebody else's mind. He might bring somebody to somebody else. He might bring you a memory of a scripture verse that you have heard or that you know about. To some of the others of you, he might bring a, a scenario. To some of us, he'll bring questions that he'll be asking. And, 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 and you say, well, 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 wait a minute, Cliff. How do I know that that's God when that happens? That kind of scares me. How do I know that's God? And, and what is it about my mind that God wants to use? You say he's going to use my mind? I say, yeah. He does. And that's why Paul wrote in Romans 12 too, he said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, he said, by renewing your mind. And, and the way he wrote it, he, what he meant is it's an ongoing process. We keep renewing our mind. And he wanted to say that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that by testing, you might discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is perfect, what is... Mm. So Lord, you're going to use my mind to show me your will. How do I then know that it's your will? And he says, because it will always match up with my word. God says, I cannot lie and I will not lie. So if you're wondering if it's me speaking to you when you suddenly have this, you don't have to worry about it. Don't get uptight about it. Just take, take what you've heard, take what you've written down, take the picture you've seen, take the circumstances that you, and, and lay it next to my word, and my word and my character, what my word says about my character, what my word says about who I am, will help you discern if it's valid or if it is not valid. God's word and his character will verify his answers. God's word and his character verify his answers. So let me give you an example. I was uh, talking with a guy some... Uh, 
number of years ago. Uh, I'm going to say seven, eight years ago. And um, I, we were talking about prayer. And, I, and we were talking about this very thing. And he said, you know, I, I, I don't know whether it's God or not when I hear things in my head. And I said, why don't you just try it? And when you pray, just open your mind up and say, God, use my mind however you want. And then whatever, whatever thoughts you begin to have, let's take those thoughts and discern. And then he said, you know, I have, voice, I have voices that speak to me. And, and uh, I, I did what you asked me to do. This is the next week. He said, I did what you asked me to do. And then I stopped and I said, so what am I supposed to do? And the voices said, you know what? You're, pretty, you're absolutely worthless. You should kill yourself. Is that God? And I said, is that God? What does his word say about that? What does his word say about how he sees you? No. Obviously, that is not God. So very easy for you to go, thank you very much. That's not from God. Now, God, would you speak to me? Show me who that is so I can kick them out. Amen. And I can then say, Lord, I want to hear from you, not from somebody that's going to give me false stuff because you're going to give me stuff that lines up with your word and with your character. So the next question I ask myself then as it relates to this breakthrough prayer is, okay, all right, so we know how to, that God's going to use our mind. We can open ourselves up. We can ask him. We know we can verify his answers. Then is there anything that we can do to accelerate this? Is there anything we can do on our part to say, God, I just want you to know how much I want this and how serious I am about this? And, and so I'm willing to do some things to demonstrate that. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, there are three things that I think will really help us in this process. So the first one is this, that, that to, to write or to journal, to write or to journal for a breakthrough in prayer. We're going to talk about that for just a moment. And then fasting and then using spiritual, your spiritual gifts, diving into actually using the gifts that God's given you. I think those three things will, will help you set up for a breakthrough in your prayer life, which will help you see God better, know him better, and actually give you a new paradigm on your life and your circumstances. So the first one I said is writing and journaling. Practice writing or journalism for a breakthrough in prayer. Now, as I wrote that down, as I thought about that, I really didn't want to write that one down because I'm really not very good at that. I'm just not. I, 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 it, it takes too much time for me. And, and I have found that when God's, but I found God often speaks to me that way. When I, when I take up a pen and I say, Lord, I am now sitting here and I'm willing to listen to you. What do you want to tell me? And I'm done writing that. And then I just wait quietly and I begin writing the impressions he puts on my mind. I just start writing them down. And then I can go back later and look at them and say, did they match up with God's word? Did they match up with his character and with the Bible? And man, sometimes so often he'll give me things that are uh, that amaze me because I know it's not me and that's how you know it's him because he'll give me a thought or he'll give me some words that are not mine they're not what I would come up with and I know that and so I I've written those down now the reason I say I'm no good at it is this it takes time and I don't write fast I have tried it with typing and I'm not because I, I can type a lot faster than I can write and for some reason, it's not the same. So I don't know if there's something neurologically that goes on there or what. But I know this. Many of the Psalms, many of the books of the Bible were written by prophets and by others as they were journaling their relationship with God. They use that for a breakthrough in their relationship with God. Read the Psalms and David is journaling so often his heart, how, how, how great he feels about things, how 
terrible he feels about things. How he wants God to interact with him and what he wants God to do. He's just journaling those things. And, uh, and man, does he grow in the process and get to know God better because of it. So there is something that I would really encourage you to do if you have not. And both of us uh, will say, Lord, how, do we, how, do, how can I get a little better at that? Um, some of you may be great at it, so you don't have to worry about that. So the, writing and journaling makes a big difference. And then the discipline of fasting prepares us for a breakthrough in prayer. The discipline of fasting prepares us for a breakthrough in prayer. So I want to encourage you. Fasting does not mean you pray fast. That's not what it means, okay? Um, uh, some of us have this. Let's, let me get this thing down. I can really get it down in a hurry. But here's what fasting actually means. It means to lay aside any pleasurable and or vital activity for a period of time in order to intensely pursue God and know his mind with the intent of obeying his revealed will. So, uh, God, I'm going to fast so I can get to know you better, understand your will, and that because I want to intentionally obey you. Now, the typical way to fast is to, to do without food for a, a period of time. So you're just going to have water or juice or, or some liquids or whatever, whatever it is for, for you know, a period of time. And, and you do that to say, Lord, I'm just changing things up here so I don't forget to focus on you. So I think about you in the process. You know, before we started this series, for a couple of weeks before the series began, I felt like I want to fast, so I, uh, but I didn't want to just do a, a water fast for uh, two weeks, and so I did, a, I did a daylight fast, sunrise to sunset. I didn't eat food for sunrise to sunset, um, which this time of year is a whole lot easier than the summertime, but uh, just saying, you know. Uh, but, you know, and, and the only reason I did that was to change things up and remind myself, God, I'm really wanting to sit in front of you. I'm really wanting to, to be closer to you. I'm really wanting to hear you as, as we're preparing this series, as we're getting ready to go into these things. So I'm going to do this, Lord, because I want you to break through to me. Biblical fasting is always coupled with fervent prayer. You always see that in the Bible. It's always coupled with fervent prayer. Now, listen to me. There is no spiritual value in hunger alone. There isn't. So don't fast to diet. Dieting is not fasting. Fasting is not dieting, okay? So uh, maybe you think you can get a two-for-one. I don't know. I don't know if that works or doesn't work. But, but you need to choose fasting for the right reason. And by the way, it doesn't just need to be from food. Some of you absolutely should fast from electronic devices, technology. You can fast from TV. You can fast from, oh, oh, yeah. Some of you, that would hurt worse than fasting from food, huh? So you fast from those things to come to God. And, and part of the idea is when you're doing without, now you're beginning to understand uh, every, time, every time you have a hunger pang or something like that, you can say, Lord, uh, I just realized I'm hungry. So now I want to come to you right now because that's the reason I'm doing this is to remind myself that I want to get closer to you and I want to hear more from you. Prayer and fasting demonstrates our priorities. It says, Lord, I'm going to put you above even food for a little period of time here because I want to hear from you and get to know you better. So it helps us develop a closer relationship with God. But again, prayer and fasting doesn't, isn't what changes God. It changes us as we seek God. King Jehoshaphat was afraid. 
He was the king of, 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 uh, of the Jews at that time. And he had just received a message telling him that a bunch of nations had declared war on Israel. And it did not look good. In 2 Chronicles 2 verse 3, Jehosh it says Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. There we see that fasting shows God that we are serious about wanting his help. And that word desperate that we, came, that we talked about, boy, that was certainly where Jehoshaphat was at that point. Ezra, who had been a, was a scribe and was connected to the, uh, when the Jews were taken into captivity in Babylon, became Persia. Then uh, 70 years later, Ezra is given approval by the king to take a group of people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the walls of Jerusalem and the temple. Well, the, well, when they were asking for the permission to be able to do this, they told the king, our God will protect us. So they didn't want to ask him for a, 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 a regiment to protect them on the way. Uh, but they were concerned because they were going through a very dangerous territory. So in Ezra 8, verse 23, we read Ezra saying, so we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us. And he heard our prayers. So there we see that fasting and prayer expresses our need for God's care. So in this case, he's, fat, he's saying, Lord, we need your care in, in this situation, these circumstances. There was a king named Xerxes that ruled over a huge area from India to Ethiopia. He was not a Jew, and he had agreed actually to eliminate the Jews uh, from the entire land of his kingdom, not realizing that his queen, Esther, was a Jew. Esther wanted to talk to him about it, but uh, under the current protocol, was afraid if she did, he might order her execution. So here's what she did in Exodus, uh, in Exodus, in Esther, Esther chapter 4, verse number 16, we read, she wrote a note, and here's the note she wrote to her people, to her family, and to the Jews in Susa. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. There's another kind of fast. Now you're not eating or drinking. That one can get difficult in a hurry. Uh, my maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. Wow. Fervent fasting and prayer replaces fear with courage. And Esther went from being fearful to having the courage to do what God called her to do. If you don't know the end of the story, you need to read the book of Esther. Fasting and prayer has always been done when seeking God for his will and for decisions that people had to make. If you're in a place right now where you are, have some big decisions in front of you, then you might consider fasting and prayer about that thing. To say, God, I really want you to speak to me about the decisions I have in front of me. I really want to know that what I'm going to be doing is what you are directing me to do. So I'm going to fast right now and pray about that. The apostles gave us an example of that in Acts chapter 14, verse number 23, it says, Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church. With prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So there we see that fasting and prayer demonstrates trust in God, demonstrates our trust in Him. Breakthrough prayer, gang, requires intentionality 
and persistence. And so you say, okay, Cliff, I'm, 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 you've convinced me. I want to try this fasting thing once or twice or just want to see or maybe you've been fasting and you're being convicted to do it again. What does, that, what does that look like? How should I do that? Well, the details of what you should fast from, that can be between you and God or whatever he puts in your heart and mind. By the way, there are some of you who he really wants to uh, get their, your attention. He may actually have you fast from coffee. Uh, just saying. Uh, I'd rather do without food. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, Matthew verse, uh, chapter 6, Jesus is saying, here's how you should fast. Let me give you a picture of it. Jesus says, when you fast, in verse number 16, do not be like the hypocrites of a sad face, for they disfigure their faces so they may appear to men to fast. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to fast, but to your Father in secret. And your Father who sees in secret shall reward you openly. So, so here what you see is Jesus saying, look, don't, you know, what was happening is these guys would want people to know how spiritual they were. So they'd be going, oh, I'd like to eat lunch, but I'm fasting. I'm so spiritual. You know, oh, I'd like to do this, but I'm, uh, and, and, and Jesus is saying, that's not the purpose. The purpose isn't about other people. It's about you and God. So, so don't make a big deal out of it. Now, on the other hand, I do want to say this because some people make, th- make this a religion. Oh, nobody can know I'm fasting. Well, guess what? If you normally have lunch with somebody and you've decided to fast and you're not going to have lunch, they're going to know about it unless you're going to lie to them, you know. Oh, I had to lie to so-and-so because uh, I didn't want him to know I was fasting. That's not what Jesus meant. So don't jump into doing something else. What he meant was don't make a show of it. It's not, it's not about people thinking you're holy. It's about you and your relationship with God. So he says, look like you normally look. Be a happy person, but you're just fasting, you're just saying, Lord, I, I, I want to do this because I want you, I want a breakthrough. I want a breakthrough. I want to see you better. I want to understand you more. I need to hear your voice in this area of my life. It requires intentionality and persistence. So then, so not only fasting, then I said also another way that you can prepare yourself for breakthrough is to pursue the spiritual gifts. Pursue the spiritual gifts to break through in prayer. If God, if you knew that God had a gift, or plural, gifts, just for you, that God uniquely put a gifts together, a set of gifts together, and he sets them on a table and he says, there they are, they're for you. How many of you would want to open them up? How many of you, yeah, well, I'm sorry for the rest of you. Uh, yeah, that's some of you. Yeah, we, we, if, we, if we knew, here's, here, these are God's gifts for me, my creator's gifts for me, really, I want to know what they are. I want to open them up. And God says, I've done that. I have uniquely gifted every person. And every person who comes to know me, I've uniquely given additional gifts to them that they might be able to use. Uh, You want to read about the gifts? You can write this down on your notes. Uh, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 14. But so those, those different, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, describe the gifts that God has given us. And, And we're encouraged to pursue those gifts. We're told, go ahead, go get after them. God's saying, I've, I've given them to you. They're there for your benefit and for your use. What are some of those gifts? Anybody? Mercy. Mercy. Hospitality. Hospitality. 
Okay, here's the deal. Every one of you got to go read about these gifts, for goodness sakes. If you don't know what they are, God's given us, he's given us clear, he said, faith, hospitality, giving, leadership, administration. There's a bunch of them. Miracles, wisdom, words of knowledge, discernment, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists. Oh my gosh, he said, I've got all kinds of gifts. And I give a unique set of them to every person I've created. And when they come into relationship with me, I expand them. Because now I add a spiritual component to them that can only come from me. Wow. So you say, but Cliff, I don't know what gifts I have. Pursue God. Ask him. Ask him to show you. Read about the ones that are there and then say, Lord, which ones of these have you given to me? You want a little help from that? I'll tell you what you can actually do. You can actually Google spiritual gifts and there are tests online that you can take that will help you understand your spiritual gifts. And, and, and they're wonderful, and, and they're very helpful. Some of them are very helpful, because when you understand the gifts God's given you, then you can have freedom to use them. Here's my concern with those kinds of tests, just so you know. This is my personal concern, is I've talked to people who said, who've taken those tests, and they go, okay, God's given me the gift. Of, by the way, giving is a gift. I love that. Giving is a gift. You know, some, somebody says, God's given me the gift of giving. He's given me the gift of administration. He's given me the gift of, and then they say, so I can't help out with children because uh, that isn't in my gift set. Can I tell you something? Do what God's telling you to do. A lot of times God uses us in an area that is not in our gift set just to stretch us, just to demonstrate that he can still use us there. So the important thing isn't to use it to get out of stuff, is to use it to say, God, what else and how else do you want me to be involved in things? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 29, Paul writes, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And then he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. God gives the gifts for us to be able to use to serve each other for the most part. And when we use them, we end up getting closer to God as we do. And then Paul goes on to say, and I will show you a still more excellent way. What's Paul about to describe Love, love. Paul's about to say, now let me tell you, all of these gifts that God's going to give you, pursue them. They're wonderful to you, for you to have. They're wonderful for you to use. But listen, when you do that, the most important one is love. It is the excellent way. As a matter of fact, um, when God-given gifts are not used well, if they're not used in love. Did you hear that? God-given gifts are not used well if they're not used in love. If love isn't the overriding purpose. To love people well is more important than any other spiritual gift. But that does not mean that we shouldn't pursue them. Because God's given them to us. He says, open them up. I want you to see what they are. I want you to be engaged with them. I want you to pursue spiritual gifts to a breakthrough in prayer. And so as you do that and you begin to operate in those gifts, then what you'll see happen is the body gets built up because you're, helping, you're serving other people, and then you get to know God better. One of these gifts that's really confusing to a lot of people, and I'm going to try to do my best to simplify this a little bit today, is the whole idea of speaking in tongues, and then it says interpretation of tongues. And so what, what speaking in tongues is, is people will begin to speak in a language they do not understand. 
And we see three different types of instances of this in the Bible. The first one is in Acts chapter 2 where it says that people were speaking in tongues and other people heard them, but what they heard was their own language, their own language that they'd grown up with. So here's somebody who knows they're in Jerusalem, who knows that they're nowhere close to their particular language, maybe it was a Coptic language or whatever that they grew up with, and here is somebody who's a Jewish guy who's beginning to talk to them, and he's telling them about the good news of salvation in their own language, their own dialect. And they're going, wow, and the person who's doing it has no idea what they're saying. Now, I don't know if that's a, if it says it's, they were speaking in tongues of different languages. It's also kind of a miracle of hearing, isn't it? Because they're hearing it in their own language that way. So that was one way that, that we have. We don't have a lot of other examples of that one in the New Testament. But then there's another way that Paul talks about that he says it happens while a group of believers are together where one of the believers feels compelled to stand up and start speaking in tongues. They start, they start praying in a language they do not understand. And Paul says, now if you're going to do that in a group of people, make sure you have somebody else there who can interpret that. Or people who are not familiar with God are going to think, what's wrong with these people? They're, they're nutso. Well, they're going to think that anyway, probably of you, but that's beside the point. Uh, so, uh, but he's just saying, look, have somebody to interpret it. So that's the second way that we see that, where there's someone who does that. And then Paul says, but there's another way that I use, which he says, I speak in tongues more than anybody, and he encourages us to do it. He says, but this way is for, I, for your own edification with God. Some people call that a prayer language because it's between you and God and you and God alone. And other people don't need to hear it. And the intention isn't for you to give it to other people, but for you to just do that with God. Okay? And so he says, I do that more than anyone, and I think that's something that you ought to consider doing. And uh, so there, there are people, now I will tell you that there are people who do not believe that the gift of tongues is active today. They believe that, and they love Jesus, and they believe that the gift of tongues is no longer active today, okay? And so they would say that people who are doing that are talking gibberish. They're just making that up. Now the people who do that would say, well, maybe I am. I'll tell you, I just know that I sense God in me when I'm doing that, and I feel like he is expressing through me things that I cannot express myself. So I do that when they say I do that when, when uh, I don't know how to pray for somebody. And I just say, God, then you just, I'm just going to start letting my tongue and mouth go and you, you pray for me. And whatever I'm saying, you can translate it. You got that down. So you take care of that. Here's how I, here's how I approach this. First, first this, the most important thing about this idea and this gift is this. If you do this, or if you do not do this, if you believe in this, or if you do not think this is accurate for today, this is not something to cause division. It's a personal benefit in prayer for those who want to do that, and for those who don't. So here's what you do not do. You do not critique other people. You do not criticize other people. And Lord knows this, do not ever, because you say, well, I do that, and you, you don't do that. You say it's not real, but I know it's real. Then I would say, then knock it off. That's not the purpose of the gift, is to act like you have something better than other people or whatever. It isn't that. It's for your benefit, your edification only, Paul says. That particular is, if there's not, you just do it with God and let him deal with you. You don't think that person's doing it. You think that person's kind of nuts. 
I think they're kind of crazy. I think they just make that stuff up. It's okay. Don't you look down on them who love Jesus and say, I want to do that. See, here's what we believe at Arbor, and I'm so glad Arbor believes this. We believe in keeping the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus Christ. The main thing is salvation through Jesus Christ. The main thing is following Jesus Christ in every way that we can. So we don't let something like this divide us. We keep focused on the essentials and say, man, go for whatever God's telling you to do. Just make sure it's God telling you to do that and step into that. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14.1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. You see that? I love that. He's saying, here, first, pursue love. And then want these gifts. Ask God for these gifts. Step into receiving these gifts. Do whatever you can to be able to exemplify those gifts in a way that will bring glory to God. But do it in love. Pursue love first. Here's the thing that I, I believe. I had somebody tell me the other day. They said, well, I, I, you know, I tried that tongues thing and I, I, I just don't have that gift. And um, I think that... Uh, that because I don't have it, I'm not going to try that. And I don't want to be a phony to God. I don't want to be a phony to God. And I said, you know what, that, that's, that's interesting. And I think that's a great reason. You think God doesn't know what you're trying to do or not trying to do? Somebody else I talked to says, you know what, I, I try it. And, and sometimes I think, am I really doing that? Or is, or is God doing that? Or is, am I just making this? And then I think, you know what, God knows me. God knows my heart. It doesn't matter to him. He knows me. If your mind and heart are focused on God and getting closer to him, it can't be bad for you, and it certainly is not of the devil. And here's why. The devil would never want you to do anything to get closer to God. Period. End of story. He doesn't want you to do anything to get closer to God. He doesn't want you to fast. He doesn't want you to seek spiritual gifts. He doesn't want you to be persistent about it. He doesn't want you to be intentional about it. He doesn't want you closer to God. And God says, you know what you remind me of? I mean, I was thinking about this, and I said, Lord, how do you see this? How do you see this? Your character is one of love. Your character is one of wanting to give us things. So how do you see this? And, and the picture I got, and I don't get pictures all that often, but the picture I got was uh, uh, of a baby, a little baby, you know? And, and I, I, I love babies. And when you hold them and, and, and their eyes, when, when they, their eyes look up at you and all of a sudden they lock on, you know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden they lock on and you know you're just looking right, right at them and they're looking right at you. And then they start to try to talk. And they are goo-gooing and gaga and and you know what? I've actually seen other people goo-goo and gaga back. <laughs> and I thought to myself, when I do that, now I'm not a goo-goo gaga or back, although I can get close. Right? Because you want to talk to them. Oh, you are so cute. Man, you are just awesome. Look at how God made you. And they're going, gaga, goo goo. I, I know they're happy or sad. I can see they're trying to communicate with me. And I don't look at them and go, you know what, if you could talk, I'd listen to you. Why don't you speak English? <laughs> of course not. I go, I love you. You are God's creation. And it's awesome how much you want to talk and communicate. Ah, and I want to do the same thing back to you. Can you get that picture for God? He knows every strand of DNA in your body. 
He knows what you're made up of. If you speak to him in a language you don't understand, you think that he, he, he will respond to you in the way that he sees you. 